pigeons learn faster than this man. everybody and welcome back to Witch Fix. Today we're looking at a film that I have meant to get around to for some time and first a confession because I think I have referred to this film in, in other reviews that I've done and uh, compared them and sort of talked about the similarities between the themes but I have never seen the original Wicker Man movie. I know I come before you as a fraud, as a philistine, as, as someone who couldn't be asked, quite frankly. Uh, I have seen bits of it. I have seen film analysing videos about it. I have seen a, a number of film uh, of videos comparing the original Wicker Man to the hilarious comedy remake starring Nicolas Cage. But I've never sat, sat through the original and I've just sort of missed out on that. And so I went about rectifying that by ordering a copy of it from eBay and uh, sitting down today and finally watching it. My takeaway from it is these two things. One, clearly times have changed quite a bit. And two, there is a strong case for this being considered a musical. And I don't know how I feel about that. So I'm talking about The Wicker Man from 1973, which I did not realise up until today when I looked it up, that it was based on a book uh, called Ritual, and that that book has a sequel. The book of The Wicker Man came out after the film, but prior to the film, there was a novel in 1967 called Ritual, which is actually what this film is based on, uh, not to be confused with the novelisation of the film. And this was followed up uh, a while later by a sequel called The Wicker Woman, uh, with Wicker not spelt as in Wicker Chair, but as in Wicker the Religion, which I have not read. There's also a spiritual sequel to this movie that is not the hilarious comedy remake starring Nicolas Cage and 400,000 CGIBs. It's called The Wicker Tree, and I actually have a copy of that, so I'll be reviewing that as well. It's not a direct sequel, it is a spiritual sequel, so I don't know that it takes place involving the same characters or any of the same locations. But, uh, by the by, this is clearly quite a big phenomenon in that it has spawned a good number of films, and I feel also Midsummer would be quite similar to it as another example of, like, a daytime horror film where everything takes place you know, in the broad light of day. So uh, I felt like I had to watch this before I watched any of the other ones, just so that I had a, a firm basis on which to proceed. I don't have any trigger warnings for this film because here's the thing, it's not scary. It is unnerving slightly in places, so I guess it is still a horror film, but don't go into it expecting it to be scary, like a, a traditional horror film that we would see now because it, it, it isn't frightening in that in that sense. Now, the story is one we'll probably be all familiar with. It's about a policeman who goes to a weird island with a pagan cult on it uh, to investigate the disappearance of a missing girl, and then they burn him to death in a giant wicker man. Spoiler alert, that's what happens in the film. But a lot of other things happen, which I am going to talk about a little bit and sort of dissect, because I feel like the point of the film when it was made was to unnerve Christian conservative audiences with like the weirdness of, of paganism and all the things that it entails right up until human sacrifice and i feel like now the policeman definitely reads as the bad guy which was for me quite an interesting take on the film it, using a sort of modern pagan lens to view it so uh we're gonna go through and discuss that a little bit so we start with the plane 
arriving at the island, the policeman arrives by seaplane because I guess it's super far away. As soon as he lands, he hollers to some nearby locals to row out with a dinghy to get him, which seems very presumptuous. Like, don't just arrive and start ordering people around. But they say that he needs permission to come ashore because it's a private island. You need written permission from Lord Summer's Isle to actually come ashore. Uh, Sergeant Howie, who is our main character and has all the personality of an ironing board, starts yelling that basically he received a complaint from someone on the island and he's a police officer, therefore he has the authority to, to come onto the island. We find out that the person he's looking for is called Rowan Morrison and he shows around a picture of her which was enclosed with a letter that was sent to him personally but anonymously. Uh, the locals say that they don't recognise the girl, she don't live there, but they do know May Morrison who runs the post office, but she does not have a daughter called Rowan, which is already very suspicious. Now, the difference between this island and the island as portrayed in the comedy remake is that that island was very strange and weird right from the get-go. It seemed to be set in the past uh, compared to contemporary Nicolas Cage's life. It seemed to be uh, very stylized around honey and bees. There were like honeycomb shaped fields and all the rest of it. Summer's Isle in the original movie looks exactly like a sort of Cornish fishing town. It's meant to be on a, an island in Scotland, but it, it just has the look of a, a generally coastal town. Aside from the fact that there is very lush greenery with lots and lots of flowers and palms and things, the kind of things you'd see in warmer areas like Devon and definitely not on a Scottish island. So there's a slight bit of like a weird feeling from seeing that that kind of throws the whole scenery off balance, which is kind of cool. Sergeant Howie makes it to the post office to question May Morrison and she sells a lot of very strange looking sweets, some of which are in the shape of like chocolate hairs, which I would love to get my hands on because they look lovely. He speaks to her and she denies that the girl in the picture is her daughter and introduces him to her daughter, Myrtle, who who is younger than Rowan is meant to be and who is painting a picture of a hare. When he's left alone with her, Sergeant Howie questions her about uh, where Rowan is, like if, if she knows Rowan and she says that Rowan is a hare and lives in the fields. Sergeant Howie then makes it to the local pub to find lodgings for while he's on the island. He's introduced to the landlord's daughter, Willow, who is very blonde and big-eyed. And then everyone in the pub just sings a bawdy song uh, called The Landlord's Daughter, which is the start of many a time when people will just sing songs while occasionally looking directly to camera, which gives the weird feeling that you're in some sort of musical. I have no idea if I like this or not, but it was definitely weird and unsettling, so I'll give it a horror point for that. Uh, Sergeant Howie notices that there are pictures of women in white, uh, one for every year up on the wall, and they are just wearing a white dress and standing behind a bunch of loaves of bread like a, a harvest festival. But the picture for the previous year is missing. Da -da -da. He is then given some food uh, to go along with his lodging, I guess, which he hates uh, because everything is like tinned uh, and artificial and his beans are bright blue, which is disturbing. I'll give him that. Uh, Willow, while he's eating dinner, is kind of acting a teeny bit saucy. She's like, oh, what would you like for dessert? So I guess that's what passes for saucy in like the 1970s. He then goes outside for, I guess, just like a little evening stroll. And he witnesses in quick succession an orgy that is just taking place outside the pub. Uh, some people watering graves. 
in the graveyard and a naked woman crying on, on one of the graves. Now, he doesn't really seem to react to this necessarily. Like, he, he doesn't really have an emotional reaction. He just is mildly shocked, I would say, and goes back to the pub to go to his room and say his prayers for the night. And we get a flashback of him uh, taking communion. There's a, then a very long extended scene of Willow in the next room singing a song while she rhythmically thumps the wall, the window frame. She does a little wiggle butt dance. She does some various other things. It just seems like the director threw her a line and just said, okay, now vamp for a bit and then she continued to vamp for 25 minutes so it's a very weird scene uh, meanwhile uh sergeant howie in all his beige pajamaed sweaty faced glory is plastered up against the adjoining wall as if tempted in the extreme by this song and dance routine that he can't see so uh Take that for what it's worth. The next day, Howie has breakfast, which is brought to him by Willow, and she asks why he didn't come to her room. And he says he is engaged and he doesn't believe in that sort of thing before marriage. Which is all fine and good, but apparently it doesn't even enter his head to think I'm engaged and therefore I shouldn't be fraternising with other women. So clearly his commitment to Christianity to the, the laws of his religion is greater than his commitment to his future wife, which I think says a lot about him. He then goes outside on his investigations once more and sees a maypole being crowned with leaves and the village boys dancing around it to a song which is about basically sex and procreation. He then goes into the school to find that the girls are in class. Why are they in class and the boys get to dance around a maypole? That seems mean. Uh, and they are being quizzed on what the pole represents to which they respond that it is a phallic symbol and the teacher, Ms Rose, uh, confirms this and says yes the image of the penis is celebrated. Sergeant Howie seems confused by this not at this point particularly outraged looking but just I guess a little bit shocked. He then completely undermines the fact that he outwardly seems quite calm by telling the teacher that she is peddling filth and he's going to report this on the mainland. We all know he's not going to get a chance to do that but it's still kind of rude for him to say. He then addresses the class, shows them the picture of Rowan and writes her name on the board, partially erasing a lesson on toadstones and hagstones. Uh, he notices, after everyone has said that they don't know who Rowan is, that there is a vacant desk in the room, so obviously they are all lying because someone else should be in this class. He also checks the register and finds that she is in it and her address is given as the post office, so he calls them all despicable liars. The teacher then admits that Rowan is dead or that he would call her dead because she's actually been uh, reincarnated and reborn as a hare or some other aspect of nature and that death doesn't really exist for them on the island they don't talk about it he asks if they do not learn about god and jesus and she says that they learn about christianity as a comparative religion which and i'll just pause here that is a lot more than I got when I went to church school. Like, we didn't learn about paganism as a comparative religion. We did Hinduism. We did it a lot. But we didn't learn about paganism. So I feel like the island is giving them more than their fair due. He then asks if Rowan is buried in the churchyard, which, come on, really, dude? You, you still think there's going to be a church here? But she says that she is buried, but in what is no longer really the churchyard, because they don't really have a church anymore, because obviously. He then goes to the Notter churchyard and finds that there are some graves there, as you would expect, as well as what look to be like pews and various wood furnishings from inside that have been 
taken out and just kind of dumped behind the building. He also finds a sort of stone altar outside. Uh, I was unclear as to whether this was maybe previously part of the church or not. Uh, but on it is a box with maybe three apples in it. And he knocks this aside before using two pieces of broken wood to make a cross, which seems very disrespectful. He finds a rowan tree, because most of the people in this are named after plants, they plant that particular plant or tree on their grave when they die. So he finds a rowan tree, correctly assumes that it is rowan's grave and her umbilical cord is hanging in the tree, which is weird and they must have kept that for a really long time. But there we go. He also asks the graveyard keeper um, where he can find the local minister, which, come on, guy, get a clue. There is no minister. Pigeons learn faster than this man. He then goes to see Mrs. Morrison again and finds her curing the throat of her daughter Myrtle uh, with uh, a frog, which she gets her to hold in her mouth and then spit out again, I guess having transferred the cough, which, you know, does seem kind of like child abuse, but... I guess that's just how they practice medicine here. And she does get a gumball afterwards. So I guess that's fine. Howie then visits the registrar to ask about the death register to see if Rowan has been listed on it. She says that he doesn't have the authority to view it without Lord Summersile's permission. And in no uncertain terms, he kicks off because he is a policeman and he has the ultimate authority over everybody because he is the law. And uh, she hands over the book, which uh, fair enough. I wouldn't want to deal with him either, he seems like a prick. He doesn't find Rowan listed in the register, and uh, the registrar doesn't know how she died, so pretty wasted visit. He then goes to see the chemist, who is also the town photographer and took the summer festival photos that he, he wants to know about. On the counter, there's just a jar of foreskins, just chilling. After being told by the chemist that he doesn't have any other copies of the missing photo, um, and that he doesn't remember Rowan, even though he must have taken her picture only, like, six to eight months previously. Oh, he's had enough, so he decides to go and visit Lord Summersisle. He is taken by pony and trap out into the countryside, um, past an orchard where pregnant women are walking through the trees, uh, touching each one, I guess, to bless them, or whatever, and then he sees a bunch of naked girls uh, jumping over a small bonfire and chanting, apparently doing some sort of rite of fertility for either themselves or the forest. He then meets Lord Summersisle, who is literally the most polite person in the world uh, to him, even though he is kind of a raving gobshite by this point. He goes to Lord Summersisle, instantly says he wants to exhume Rowan and have her autopsied on the mainland. Lord Summersisle agrees to this, all affability, and says that that's completely fine. When confronted about why he doesn't seem at all concerned about the accusations that Howie is making, he says that they don't have murders on Summersisle because they are a deeply religious community and that sort of thing doesn't happen. Sergeant Harry then scoffs uh, and makes light of this and talks about the lessons he witnessed earlier. He asks about the right with the fire and Lord Summersisle outlines it as being about uh, birth and creation without procreation which Sergeant Harry scoffs at and says that it's fake biology and fake religion and Lord Summersisle brings up Jesus who was also born without procreation, so... Owned! He then, Lord Summersisle then cheerfully declares that the Christian God is dead, having blown his chance in the past, and this produces the most emotional reaction we have yet seen from Sergeant Howie. Given that he's meant to be pursuing a possibly murdered girl here, and trying to find out who ostensibly did away with her, the fact that 
being told that God is dead makes him completely emotional, whereas that didn't. It's very telling about him. It's very clear what he cares about the most, and that is his religion. Lord Somersal then delivers a big old smacking law sandwich by saying that a hundred years ago, uh, the, the island they're on was the same as all the others, barren. They were scraping a living uh, from farming sheep, and things were looking pretty dire for them. But then his grandfather bought it and decided he wanted to grow new strains of plants and fruit there. And that to encourage the workforce into working for him and working on the land and giving it their all, he revived the old ways and said that they would be responsible for the changes uh, that would be wrought by the planting of these new plants on the island, which would lead to prosperity. So it seems like there is a scientific reason here for the island to suddenly prosper, that these new fruits and plants were planted there, benefited from the unique conditions on the island with a warm gulf stream, and that that caused prosperity, which his grandfather then had attributed to the revival of these pagan rites. Lord Somersal's father then kept this going out of love for the community and for the for the ways that they have brought back, and now he is also uh, continuing those traditions. How he delivers two amazing lines, which is, I'm interested in one thing, the law, and he says that you are the subject of a Christian country, which I think is interesting as an idea to dissect. He's clearly not interested in the law. Like, the thing that he's most interested in is condemning the these pagan people and their practices he's not really doing much investigating of rowan so much as roaming around pointing his finger at people and saying you're doing wrong things and also when he says you're the subject of a christian country as if it's not something that you would believe in out of choice but something you have to be subjected to and that your belief is expected and mandatory and somehow enforceable by him as an agent of the law I think is a very interesting thing to think about, especially in today's political climate. He then asks again if the exhumation can be carried out. He's kind of losing his rag by this time, and Somersal very coolly tells him that he has already agreed to that, so he doesn't know why he's still asking. Uh, he then goes to perform the exhumation, but finds in the coffin a dead hare. So, obviously, it's all been japes. So he goes back to confront Lord Somersal and demands to know where Rowan's body is. Howie then says he will return to the mainland and come back with a lot more police. Oh, joy of joys. But we've only got the one pub, so where are they going to stay? He then breaks into the chemist, because remember, he's only concerned with the law and also breaking and entering. He digs around trying to find copies of the photograph or the negatives, and then in the end finds Rowan's picture. But whereas all the other pictures have loads of, like, bales of apples and bread and stuff in front of them, her pile is very small, and he surmises that she has been disappeared because of this bad harvest. He then goes to, I guess, the town library to research the May Day festivals. And they talk about the various roles of people in the pagan dances and things, which are still practiced in villages in the UK uh, anyway. But about how in the past those would be sort of a forerunner to a sacrifice of animals or humans. He surmises, therefore, that Rowan is currently not dead, but being held as a future sacrifice for May Day because of the bad harvest. Which, given that she disappeared like eight months ago, is a bit weird. Like, why would you think they would hold on to her that long and not just kill her there and then? It makes no sense, but it's not going to because it's all lies to get him here. Which we know because this is an old film. He then gets rowed out to the plane 
uh, and the guy rows away again. Then he finds that the plane doesn't work, so that guy has to row all the way back out and be like, get in the boat, I'll take you back to the island. But it does take a week to row to the mainland, so I guess he's not going anywhere. He then vows to find Rowan all by himself, so you know that's going to end well, because the whole community is against him. Justly so, because he's an idiot. He then follows the hobby horse man, who's like a figure from the story and is dancing through the streets. He overhears Somersal speaking to the masses that the sacrifice is planned for that afternoon at the beach, which sounds lovely. Sergeant Howie then confronts Mrs. Morrison, yells at her and says, what mother are you that you would allow your child to be sacrificed? Which is pretty funny when you think that the Virgin Mary allowed her son Jesus to be sacrificed for the glory of the lord and that abraham nearly killed his own son because he thought it was what god wanted clearly there's parallels here is what i'm saying she then says you will never understand the true nature of sacrifice which i think is an interesting idea that she would confront him with that because there isn't really any kind of sacrifice in christianity now um so all he's read about are like the stories and parables that feature it he's never experienced it for himself and boy howdy is he about to experience it for himself he then proceeds to conduct an illegal house-to-house search because his only love is the law no one seems to be that bothered by this but he is tormented by a woman in a comedically small bath uh some naked ladies a clown doll some kids who pretend to be dead etc etc everyone's just having a good time at his expense he even searches a boat which is just out in the harbor i guess but no clue as to how he gets there or gets back he sees the baker baking a life-size bread man who is apparently like part of the celebrations too which is pretty cool uh he also meets a guy who's has a costume with him which is the costume of the salmon of knowledge which cracked me up. And in searching what I guess was the Undertaker's, he finds a body in a coffin with only one hand, which becomes relevant in a moment. He then visits the pub, sees the landlord and Willow there, gets a whiskey from them and then goes to bed for half an hour, I guess to recover from all of the luring. He's advised by the landlord to just stay in bed the whole night because he shouldn't be wandering around during their festivities. He then hears them outside his room talking about how they've got something that'll knock him out and Willow is worried that it might knock him out for too long. She then comes into his room and places something by his bed while he obviously pretends to be asleep and then leaves and when he wakes up he finds that it is like a hand of glory so like a dead person's hand with the fingers alight which is apparently meant to put him to sleep but it doesn't work because he just blows it out immediately. He then attacks the pub landlord, steals his costume, which is a costume to look like Punch from Punch and Judy, and then joins the procession for May Day as the Fool. They then go through some different aspects of this procession, like little games and things that they do, before they reach the beach, and an offering of broken barrels of ale is given to the sea as a libation. Rowan is then unveiled uh, up near a cliff face in front of a cave, and he runs to her, revealing who he is, and helps her to flee into the cave. He follows her on a route through it, which leads them out through an upper hole onto the cliff top. And once they are there, she runs to Lord Summer's Isle, and uh, Sergeant Howie realises that he is surrounded by the village people. Lord Summer's Isle then says that he came of his own free will, and that last year was their first failed harvest since his grandfather bought the island. So I guess this is the first time that they've had to do this, which is interesting because their readiness to do it 
is it's quite shocking really if you think of it that way that so far all they've been asked to do is dance around maypoles and throw beer into the sea and then this year it's like let's kill a man and everyone's like yeah sure i'm game for that they have decided that he's going to be a sacrifice uh, they did some sort of research which is not very clear as to how or why they did it but basically they, they researched him decided he would be perfect and then lured him here because he is amongst other things a virgin a fool and has the power of a king because he comes here and, and demands respect for the law he maintains that he will be resurrected as is christian dogma and that he is very disparaging of their rights and whether they will work or not he says to the people gathering around him to take him to his death that this is murder which i think they know but okay and he denies the sun god and he raises an interesting point that this is the first time that they've done this and he says that the reason their harvest failed is because these new strains of fruits and vegetables are failing and that means that next year they'll fail again and then they will have no choice but to sacrifice Samazar himself. Now, it, I don't know how he came to this conclusion because apparently they've been here for like a hundred years and this is the first harvest that has failed. So if the strains were failing, surely they would have failed before now. But it's interesting, this idea that he kind of puts it back on Lord Samazar and says, hey, you're kind of getting me to fill in for you because you are the one who should be sacrificed. And it does seem that that does unnerve Samazar a little bit. And what I found interesting about Samazar as a character is that he doesn't seem to necessarily believe in the things that the rest of the people do. It's very much a thing of like his grandfather revived these customs in order to, to a certain extent, control the populace and get them to work for him. And now he is keeping it going because it gives him a lot of power. It gives him a role to play in a community that he is basically the god of. So in some ways, Samazal is their god. They then put him in the Wicker Man, because that's the name of the movie, and then he prays and curses them alternately and is then consumed by fire, as are some geese and a goat. Now I think this is quite interesting because obviously from the way it's set out, the film is meant to be unnerving to people who put themselves very much in Sergeant Howie's shoes. They are afraid of being confronted with the strange, the unusual, things that go against their deeply held beliefs about Christianity. And not just that, but about these conservative family values where like sex is bad and to be kept in marriage and things like that. From a modern perspective and as a pagan, it's quite interesting to me because what I read the film as is being kind of a cautionary tale about the leaders of belief systems and when those belief systems kind of stop being a natural part of life and being something that helps to make you a better person and start being something that you depend on like a crutch and are slavishly obedient to so he's already there how he's already at that stage where he even though he is being given free reign on this island even though he can do anything he wants he decides to stick with the rules of his religion for a god that he has never seen, cannot see, and cannot know. So he's already completely devoted to his beliefs. And then we have the people of Summer's Isle who have these beliefs where they are joyous and free, but there's also fear, they're also afraid of their god, and have seemingly been very quickly persuaded into murder in that god's name. So they're on kind of this tipping point where they are about to go down the same road that Howie's kind of already on, 
where he will do anything in the name of his God and believe himself to be just and right. And they are kind of arriving at that point, led by Summersile, who is, I guess, kind of a figure like the church in that it's unclear whether he genuinely believes in the existence of this God, but he is willing to use that for his own benefit to acquire power, prestige and control over a more credulous population. So in that sense, I do think this comes across as quite a witchy movie because there are questions that we need to ask ourselves about like our own leaders, our own clergy. There are some people who are not on the up and up. There are some people who take advantage of these beliefs and people who want to make these beliefs more similar to Christianity. Um, as we read in The Wicked Warrior, people who want to be accepted as a, a real quote-unquote religion. And that to them means that we have to represent Christianity as much as possible. So in that sense, I think it is quite a witchy film. It has definitely got a lot of those pagan things depicted in it. Uh, some of the things like hagstones, corn dollies, even some of the dances and rituals, they definitely look like some of the pagan rituals that I've seen in like photographs and documentaries of, of like actual pagans. Uh, so that's quite good content, but also I think it is quite good for kind of considering the pagan community itself and it's sort of weirdly circled back around. So it's not just talking about the dangers of just faiths that aren't Christianity, but it's talking about faiths that become like Christianity. And I think that's quite interesting. Um, that's my own interpretation anyway. Obviously, a lot of people are going to see this differently, but it is a very interesting film. And although a lot of people had said it was boring and quite slow, because obviously the whole time now you're just waiting for a man to be put in a big wicker dude and set on fire, it was quite interesting. And the, the slow realisation that these people who on the surface of it seemed completely normal and then became less and less normal the longer he spent with them was quite uh, disturbing in its own very, very subtle way. Uh, so I'm quite excited now to watch the spiritual sequel, to watch Midsummer, which is, I guess, sort of going to be a little bit of the same. Uh, and I'm not at all excited to dive back into the Wicker Man comedy remake, but my excitement mainly lies in the fact that Vanda does not want to watch it. And we're going to have a good time getting very drunk and screaming about bees until Vanda's boyfriend tells us to be quiet. So I cannot wait for that and I uh, hope you can't either. Uh, if you'd like to get in touch and let me know if you've seen The Wicker Man, if you judge me for waiting this long to see it, how dare you? <laughs> and uh, any other films that are like it that you think I might enjoy now that I have finally seen the original and uh, can now enjoy other things that are more derivative of the subject matter. So do get in touch, and in the meantime, I'll see you in the next one. Bye!